If you would, take your Bible and open to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, yesterday uh, was my, uh, one of my grandson's birthdays. And he turned eight, Logan. And uh, he and uh, his family, my daughter and her husband, have moved to Athens, Tennessee, which is not too far away. But I was on my way down there yesterday afternoon to the party with my, my uh, son, one of my sons, and <clears throat> got a text message from Sam. I didn't expect a text message from Sam on Saturday afternoon. Uh, I talked to him that earlier in the day about something else, but uh, he texted and he said, do you have a Mother's Day message in your file? I'm sick. <laughs> and I said, I can do it. <laughs> I didn't lie uh, because I didn't really have a Mother's Day message in my file. Uh, but I have done a lot of Mother's Day messages. I, I was a pastor for about 10 years. And uh, uh, I'm going to give you a little, little inside preacher stuff, okay? You promise not to tell Sam that I told you. Mother's Day, it may not be for him at all, but Mother's Day for me was always a challenge. Because if, you know, I don't know if you noticed this, Sam's ten, ten, Sam tends to be in a series, so if it's Mother's Day or Father's Day, he continues with that series. And we honor the mothers, we honor the fathers, but he continues with that series. Well, what I would try to do is try to have a message about Mother's Day, you know, on Mother's Day. Well, there are only so many places in the Bible to go. For Mother's Day. And uh, one of the places that I used to like to go was Proverbs 31. And, uh, you know, Proverbs 31 is a wonderful passage of scripture talking about the excellent wife. But my beloved wife helped me to understand <laughs> that uh, when you talk about this woman who works outside the home, she has a successful investment portfolio. She gets up before the sun every day. She makes sure her entire household is clothed well and taken care of. She makes her own bedding. It's kind of a high standard to achieve. And so on Mother's Day, when you're supposed to be encouraging mothers, you're kind of holding this up here and they're all going, wow, I don't achieve that. You know, <laughs> Who can live up to that? And uh, like I said, there's nothing wrong with Proverbs 31. Uh, King's mother was telling him what to look for in a wife. But I want to be encouraging. And uh, I want to encourage the mothers today. But I also want to encourage those who aren't mothers. Uh, that includes us guys. I don't want to miss anybody. I don't, want the guy, I don't want the men to go to sleep this morning. Hopefully we'll try to achieve. If I see you going to sleep, I may call you out. No, I won't do that. Just be warned in case, you know, just in case. But No, I won't do that. But, uh, but I want it to be an encouragement to everybody. And also, there may be some here who are ladies who long to be mothers and have not been able to be a mother. And I want the Word of God to also speak to you this morning and be an encouragement to you. Uh, my wife and I have four children, very blessed, and we have nine grandchildren. By the way, if you haven't become a grandparent yet, <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> it's, 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 it's awesome. I mean, really, it is. It really is. Um, I mean, I love being a dad, but being a, a, they call me poppy. I love to hear that word. Just in, adore my grandchildren. It's such a blessing. The Bible says children are heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. But there are some, and we've had friends, we have one especially dear friend who has never been able to have children. And we know some of, just by being her friend, of course we don't personally know it, but we know some of the pain that she went through. And she's, praise the Lord, she adopted, her and her husband adopted a wonderful young girl, baby, and now that 
she's a young lady and, and godly young lady and it's just a wonderful blessing. But, but I know that that can be a very painful thing. And so I want this passage of scripture, this message to be an encouragement to everybody, regardless of where you're at. So don't tune out if you're not a mom, okay? We're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read the entire chapter, just be warned. But I'd like to ask you to stand to show honor to God's words. We read through 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to look at the life of Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man of Hermathium Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the yearly for to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow, but Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him, only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him, and when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephra of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull. And they brought the child to Eli. 
She said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord for this child, I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you and we ask that your spirit be our teacher this morning. That he would lead us into all truth. That he would cause words that are spoken to speak to hearts and that your spirit would speak directly to our hearts from your word. That you'd be glorified, Lord. And encourage, encourage us in your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, let me just give you a little bit of background behind this story. Elkanah, the husband of Hannah, has two wives. He has Hannah and Penina. Now, obviously, we don't do that today. Or at least we're not supposed to. We don't have multiple wives. And the Bible does not condone that. Uh, some people have criticized the Bible because there are people in the Bible who had more than one wife. And that's it's not anything God ever condoned. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was asked about marriage, specifically about divorce, he went back to Genesis. And he gave the example of one man and one woman joined together forever. And that is God's design. But it was tolerated in those days. Never God's design, but it was tolerated. And, and Elkanah had two wives. So we don't really know the order of things, but based on the culture of the day and based on other stories in Scripture, Abraham and Sarah, for example, it's, it's not hard to imagine or assume that there's a very good possibility Hannah was his first wife. Because the Bible says in more than one place here in, in chapter 1 that Elkanah loved Hannah very much. But the Lord had closed her womb. And he needed an heir. He needed a son. He needed children. And... They knew that that was a sign of the blessing of the Lord, that children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And so it's quite possible that he took on Penina as a second wife because his wife, his first wife, could not bear children. Like I said, that's a little bit of supposition, but it's a reasonable assumption to make. But we do know that Penina had children. And Hannah did not. Also, just for background's sake, the, the story includes uh, the fact that they went to worship the Lord. They went to Shiloh because they were in Ephraim. And at that time, the Ark of the Covenant was at Shiloh. And the priest there was Eli and his sons. Hophni and Phinehas at this point uh, did the primary load of work, the priesthood, uh, but, uh, but, but Eli was the, was the leader, Eli was the priest, and they were also priests of the Lord. Uh, not a good spiritual situation, which is a whole other story we might touch on just a, just a bit as we go through this. But there were three feasts out of the year that Jewish... <coughs> men were required to make a journey back to worship the Lord and sacrifice. And this is probably the Feast of Tabernacles, which would have been in the fall, probably September, October, right around there. And, uh, and the sacrifice that they made was probably a peace offering because peace offerings would allow for the worshiper to eat a portion of the peace offerings. And it says that, that uh, Elkanah would give a portion to his wives 
and a, and a portion, a portion to Penina, a portion to her children, but he gave Hannah a double portion. And this was part of the feast, part of the worship of the Lord, part of the celebration is that they would eat a portion of that offering. And so that's what's going on. They, they're, they're going up, and the Bible says that they went up, verse 3, it says this man used to go year by year. So he, would, he was faithful. He was a faithful Jewish believer. He would do what was prescribed by the law to do. He would go and celebrate, go and worship the Lord and offer the sacrifices that were needed. He was a faithful man. And his family was following in his footsteps. So this was a good family, despite the fact that there were two wives. In that day and time, this was a good family, for the most part, at least as far as the husband and Hannah were concerned. Because then there's the circumstances of Hannah. And those aren't, aren't so good. The Bible says in verse 2, Hannah had no children. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And because of their understanding of scripture and tradition, it was very easy for people to look on a woman like Hannah, who was barren, and think that God had removed his blessing from her. Maybe she didn't have enough faith. Maybe she wasn't obedient. Maybe there was something wrong with her. Maybe the Lord just didn't want to give his favor to her for something. And, and so people would assume, some people would assume that she was not quite right with God. But Penina, she's blessed. But to make the situation even worse, Penina did everything she could to make Hannah's life miserable. The Bible said that she would provoke her. Verse 6, it says, Her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. She was flaunting the fact that she had children. And certainly Penina probably knew that Elkanah favored Hannah. So there was some jealousy, I'm sure, there. And that jealousy just fed this constant goading. And it was particularly centered around the time that they would go to worship. As they would go to worship for the feasts, she would aggravate Hannah about the fact that her, the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 7 says, it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. It just says year by year, and we know that Penina had children, multiple children. We don't know what the number was, but this went on for years. Years. Year after year after year after year, day after day with this woman, hearing constantly, you don't have any children and I do. Look how the Lord's blessed me. The Lord has not blessed you. The Lord has closed your womb. God has blessed me and made me fruitful. Imagine what that must have been like. And the thing is, Hannah is a godly woman. I mean, as we read the story, it becomes clear. This is a woman of great faith, a woman who loves the Lord, and yet she is saddled with this problem, this, this terrible, nagging, painful, distressing problem that won't go away, and it's gone on for years. We don't know how many nights she cried herself to sleep. We don't know how many days she wept all day long. Or maybe she just stayed in bed because she just didn't see any point in getting up anymore. This was horrible. The Bible says that God, the Lord, the Lord closed her womb. And she was dealing with that circumstance day in and day out. She did have a loving husband. 
Elkanah loved her very much. It tells us that he would give her a double portion there in verse 5 because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb, he didn't hold that against her. He knew what kind of woman she was. And he loved her regardless of whether or not she could give him any children. He loved her. I believe Elkanah was a good husband. I believe Elkanah was the kind of guy who did everything he could to make his wife's life as sweet as possible. Why do I believe that? Because of verse 8. Verse 8, he says, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? He was trying. He was doing everything he could to be an encouragement to his wife. If you're a husband like that, God bless you. If you're not, get in the game. You ought to be, you ought to be the biggest cheerleader for your wife. You really should. You know, I mentioned the Proverbs 31 woman. You know, she's doing all this stuff. Her husband's sitting in the gate with the old guys. But you know what he's doing? When he's sitting in the gate now, I know what that means. He's sitting in the gate because he was probably one of the leaders of the city. But you know what he was doing? He was praising her. Praising her wife. Praise your wife. Encourage her. That's the kind of man Elkanah was. He's the kind of guy who didn't forget to bring the flowers home, you know. <laughs> didn't forget the birthday. He's the kind of guy that watched what she was doing and learned from her what really meant a lot to her. And then he made sure that happened. He's that kind of guy. I'm better than you. I'm better to you than ten sons. But it wasn't enough to fill the void in her heart. I'm sure she loved Elkanah and I'm sure she appreciated everything he did. But it wasn't enough. And at this particular time, when they've gone up to the Feast of Tabernacles and they're offering, they're offering and the portions have been doled out and she's been given twice as much as Penina, she doesn't even eat. Some might say she was doing that because she was fasting and praying. I think she was doing that because she was so distraught she couldn't eat. There may have been many times like that. She just couldn't eat. You ever been so upset? So sad, so depressed, so hurt, so downtrodden that you just, you just can't. You just can't eat. That's where she was. And this had been going on, remember... For years. For years. We read about her prayer here, but I, I, I'm pretty confident that this was not the first time she prayed to the Lord about this. She probably prayed about this all the time. Do you have one of those problems in your life, one of those things that is a nagging thing in your life that, that really is, is in your heart? Maybe it's a lost loved one that you're praying for their salvation and you've prayed for years and years and years and you've not seen them come to Christ yet and you just think, Lord, how long? Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's a health issue. Whatever it might be. And you have prayed and you have prayed and you have prayed and God has not done anything yet that you know of to fix it. That's the kind of situation Hannah was in. That is what her circumstances look like. But you know what? Hannah had the right kind of response. Well, she was depressed, I believe, because when she prayed, and of course, Eli thought she was drunk. Let you think about that for a minute. The Bible says Eli thought she was drunk because she was moving her mouth and no words were coming out. And I'm... I believe the Bible is absolutely true. I, I do. But I believe there's more to that than just that. I think I picture this woman in great distress. Tears coming down her face. She may be shaking. She may be staggering. She may look unsteady on her feet. And she's, her mouth is making these movements and no words are coming out. Yeah, he thought she was drunk. 
No, it was because of the great distress. She told him, I'm pouring out my soul. Down in verse 15. I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. And then in verse 16, she says, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. I believe she's clinically, what we would call today, clinically depressed. She's full of anxiety. Oh, Christians don't ever get anxious, do they? (laughs) She's full of anxiety. And she's full of grief and depression and hopelessness. And she's a believer. She's a strong believer. But this circumstance has brought her to that place. So what does she do with that circumstance? Verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember me and and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. By the way, that no razor shall touch his head is is a reference to the Nazarite vow, which was typically for a certain period of time. A Jewish man could make a Nazarite vow where he was dedicated to the Lord. They wouldn't cut their hair. But this was for life. She said to the Lord, she would dedicate her son to him for life. Now, some people might look at this and say she's bargaining with God. But she's really not. Because what she's doing is she's making, she's making a vow. How do I know that? Because you read the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. You read the rest of the story. She made a vow and she kept the vow. She meant what she said. She was not trying to bribe God to give her something she wanted. On the contrary, she's submitting to God. She's submitting to God. Think about this. Here's a woman who the greatest longing of her life for years has been to have a child, specifically a son. She has been so distraught over her lack of being able to have this son And she is telling God, you give me a son and I will give him back to you. Think about that. You give me a son, the thing that I long for more than anything else, and I won't keep him. You know what she's doing? She's keeping the principle of first fruits. First fruits. All throughout the Bible... There's this principle of the first fruits. What that means is when God gives you a harvest, you give God the first. And that is evidence that you trust God that he will give you more after. But you know in this prayer, she never says, Lord, please give me seven kids and I'll give you like the first one, maybe the second. She doesn't do that. Prays for one son. One son. God, you give me one son and I'll give him back to you. He'll be a Nazarite. He'll be devoted to you. You will have him for his entire life. I will give up the thing that's dearest to me because I love my Lord. You know, the same principle applies to our giving. It's, I think it's funny sometimes when we think we're giving God 10% of our money. Whose money is it? It's God's. He lets you keep 90 Who else strikes a deal like that? Really? And then, if you really want to be blessed, give him more than that. It's his anyway. It's his anyway. God allows you to keep some of his money. And you can buy whatever you want with it. Isn't that cool? I wish Donald Trump would do that. (laughs) Now, Donald Trump doesn't have as much money as God. Now, nobody's got as much as God. But God has a principle in his word of first fruits. And here's a lady 
who says, Lord, I'm not bargaining with you. I'm not trying to twist God's arm. I'm making a vow. By the way, that's a very serious matter. Proverbs 20, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 23, 21 says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, It's better to not do one if you're not going to keep it. Better not to make a vow than to vow and not pay. If you make a vow to God, make sure you pay. God has a way of taking it. It's not about the thing, whether it's money or a child, a house, a life, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what the thing is. It's not about that. God's after your heart. God wants to be number one. And there's no room for anyone else in that seat. And that's the principle of first fruits. And that's why I believe this woman was a godly woman. She prayed and she told the Lord. She made this vow. And she prayed to God. She poured out her heart. Verse 15. She said, I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. I want you to think about that phrase. Have you ever poured out your soul before the Lord? I'm not talking about your now I lay me down to sleep prayer, okay? I'm not talking about saying grace for you eat your Cheerios or whatever. That's all fine. I'm talking about the kind of prayer where you're shaken to your core. Because something is going on in your life that is devastating. Some of you may know. I know all of you don't know me. I've been here since 2004 as a member. Just joined the staff in September. I didn't share this in the first service, but it just came to my mind. And I just think maybe the Lord wants me to share it. In 2006, June 7th, my youngest son fell down an elevator shaft. His skull was crushed. Still, it still shakes me up. Shook me to my core. I didn't think I could survive it. God spared his life, though. And we had a few years dealing with brain injury. It's the most difficult, difficult thing I've ever been through in my life. Have you ever had something that just was tearing your soul apart? That's what Hannah was going through. And when she prayed, folks, this was from the depths of her being. She needed God to move. She had no other hope. She couldn't bear this anymore. What did she do with her anxiety and her depression? What did she do with her broken heart? She took it to the Lord. Folks, there are a lot of things in this world we do with anxiety and depression. And some of them are helpful. I'm not up here to tell you anything about that. And let me tell you, the first place you need to go is to God. Amen. And then you need to stay there. Because he is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He is the great I am. This is the one who died for you, folks. The one who spoke everything into existence. Died on a cross to pay for your sins. Rose again to justify you. And put his spirit within you if you know him today. And he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Take it to him. That's what she did. She took it to him. 
When Eli realized what she was doing, he told her to go in peace and pronounced a blessing on her that the God of Israel would answer her prayer. And the Lord did answer her prayer. He rewarded her. Verse 19. They rose early in the morning. They worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She got that son she prayed for. She named him Samuel. Why did she name him Samuel? She named him Samuel because the name Samuel, Hebrew, means name of God. But also in Hebrew, it sounds like heard of God. It's interesting, she chose that name. It means name of God, but it sounds like heard of God. So he was named name of God because she had come and devoted him to God for the rest of his life. And he was a faithful servant to the Lord. She devoted him to God, and so she gave him in God's name. He was named after the name of God, but also God heard her prayer. So she would never forget, and Samuel would never forget the godly heritage of his mother. So Samuel was born, and time continued on. Elkanah went back sacrifice to the Lord and he asked Hannah to go with him and she said no I'm not going to go not going to go until the child is weaned you may be thinking well how old was that child well they didn't wean children as early as they're weaned today they that it could have been two or possibly three years easily before the child was really weaned and that's kind of interesting I kind of have a theory that it might have been Three years. I'll tell you why in just a minute. But, but the child was definitely very small, very young. Samuel was young. But she told her husband, she said, I, I, won't, I won't go until, until he's weaned. And her husband, Elkanah, just encourages her. Just do what, you, what seems best to you in verse 23. Until, wait until you have weaned him only. May the Lord establish his word. He wants to make sure. God's word is established, that she keeps her vow. You know, a husband in those days could annul his wife's vow. But Elkanah wouldn't do that. He had too much respect for Hannah. He could have said, you know, honey, the very thing that kept you sad for so long is not having a child. How can you possibly give this boy up? Why not give up? Another child later. But let's, let's not do that. He could have said, he didn't say that. He encouraged her. Encouraged her to obey the Lord. And so she stayed and she waited until he was weaned. And verse 24 tells us that when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. Why did she take a three-year-old bull, and he full flour and skin of wine. Well, that was the sacrifice that when you had made a vow to the Lord and the vow was fulfilled, you were to bring a sacrifice. And notice the age of the bull. It's three years. So what would happen and what did happen is that when, you, when she went to Shiloh, when she went to the priest, Eli, she would bring two things Two living things. She brought the, of course, the ephah of flour. She brought the wine. But she brought two living things. She brought a bull and she brought a child. The bull was slaughtered. Verse 25, then they slaughtered the bull. And they brought the child Eli. It's like a substitute. The bull, who was probably very close to the same age as the child, that life was sacrificed, and Eli became, or rather Samuel, became a living sacrifice. So Samuel is given to Eli, and verse 26, she said, Oh, my Lord, 
As you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. And I'm sure she pointed right to Samuel, put his, put, maybe put her hand on his head. She said, for this child I pray. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Can you imagine if you were in the place of Eli? Imagine what Eli must have been thinking. So think about this. And we haven't read the story, but you're probably familiar with the fact that Eli is really not obeying the Lord, to put it mildly. Matter of fact, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are called worthless men. They're priests, but they're worthless men. Why? Well, they had, a, they had a custom that when the meat was brought, a certain portion of that meat, of course, went to the priest. And the way that would be taken is it would be put in a boiling pot. And then they would take a, a, a fork and stick it in the meat, and whatever came out belonged to the priest. So first the offering is made to the Lord, and then the priest get, gets a portion. But Hophni and Phinehas didn't like that. So they would tell the worshipers, you bring me the meat first when it's raw. And they would choose what they wanted and give the leftovers to God. How many Christians do that? The Bible calls them worthless men. They would choose what they wanted and they would give the leftovers to God. They did other things too. But this, the, the blame seems to be first of all placed on Hophni and Phinehas. But if you read more of the story, you find their, their father, Eli, he knew this was wrong and he didn't stop it. And by the way, he was eating the meat too. When he finally died... You know, you may know the story that the two brothers were killed in battle, just as God had said they would be the same day. And when the news was brought back to Eli, the Bible says he was old and fat. Now, I got some weight to lose, let me tell you. <laughs> How did Eli get fat? He got fat by eating all that extra meat. He was old and fat. He was sitting in a chair and he fell over back on his neck, broke his neck and died. God's prophecy came true. Now this was many years later after this. It was after Samuel had grown some and Samuel actually God chose Samuel to take the place of Eli's family. He was going to wipe Eli's family out. But here's a man who knows he is not right with God and he is the man that's supposed to represent God to the people. He's the priest and he's not being obedient to God. He knows that and he's seen this woman who he thought was a drunk woman. He thought she was a worthless woman when he first saw her standing outside praying because she was just probably shaking all over, tears going down her face, mumbling something and no words were coming out. And he thought, who is this? What are you doing? Woman, you're, you're drunk. Get rid of your wine. He's the one with the sin. And now she's come back and said, this is the child I prayed for. What an impact that must have made. <laughs> well, it didn't make a change in him. He could have repented, but he didn't. So she was rewarded for her faith. God rewarded her greatly. He rewarded her with Samuel. And we won't go into it because of time, but if sometime you should read it. Maybe this afternoon, read it. There in chapter 2, the first several verses is her prayer of praise. What a wonderful prayer of praise. And it is very insightful as to the character of God. A lot of theologians could learn from Hannah. She knew who God was because she'd experienced God. You know what else? We'll sneak a peek over in chapter 2, verse 21. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. 
And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. God gave her more children. God blessed her for her faith. So, how does this apply to us today? Well, first of all, just think about the situation Hannah was in. The pain, the distress, the depression, the anxiety. Horrible circumstance. You know what? God was with her the whole way. Do you think, do you think that God didn't like Hannah, so he closed her womb? And then when she came along later and came up with this plan, hey God, I'll bargain with you. I'll give you a boy. And God's just up there in heaven saying, oh man, I'm glad somebody finally is going to give me somebody to use. I really need Samuel. And that by bargaining with God, she convinced God to open her womb? No, that didn't happen. God does not work that way. God is God, and we are not, right? He is sovereign of the universe, He is the I am. Which means he's continually in the present. Nothing ever took God by surprise. Your circumstances did not sneak up on God. Your distress is not a surprise to him. The thing that is breaking your heart is not something that he's absent from. So what did happen? The Lord closed Hannah's womb. Really? Why did the Lord close Hannah's womb if the if the Lord is the one who gives us children, if the children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward, why did he close Hannah's womb? Because he had a greater purpose. Why has he not given you the thing that you want? And maybe you're, maybe you're like Hannah. Maybe you are longing for a child. God knows that. Maybe you have an illness and God's not healed it. God knows that. Is God capable of giving you that child? Is God capable of healing that illness? Absolutely. That's no problem for God. He spoke the world into existence. God made you. God can do anything. There's nothing he can't do. So why wouldn't he do it? What was he doing in Hannah's life? Remember, we talked about how she prayed and how she sought God. Do you think she would have sought God like that if everything in her life was flowers and sunshine? Do you think she would have ever learned how desperately she needed God if she had not had the pain of a barren womb? The first time I came back to church after Ian's accident, we... We spent a month in the hospital. We were, we were uh, two weeks at UT. He was life flighted to UT. And two weeks at Patricia Neal. And it was after he came home, because I would not leave the hospital except on Fridays when I had to pay the guys that worked for me. And then I'd go right back. I slept there. One night I spent the night away and I couldn't handle it. I couldn't leave. I wanted to be here so badly. My Sunday school class mowed my yard. They brought food. They brought money. They prayed for us. They held us up. This church is a loving church. God got us through it. Amen. But that first night, I'll never forget, it was a Sunday night. I was in that row right there. And we sang, how great is our God. The song still gets me. It still gets to me. Because I was thinking, how great is our God, what he's done for me. Do you think I ever could have appreciated the greatness of God the way I appreciate the greatness of God? And my precious son not having his skull crushed. 
He's doing well today, by the way, if you don't know. He's 25, he's working, he's doing great. My mom died just a few months before that happened. And I kept forgetting she was gone. I kept trying to call her. But I wouldn't know what I know of my Lord had I not gone through that pain. I wouldn't know how faithful he is. I wouldn't know how he would hear me in the darkest, deepest places. I wouldn't know that. Romans 8.28. We know. Everybody knows that. Every Christian knows that. All things work together for good. What is that good? It's in verse 29. Because God is conforming you to the image of His Son. He wants you to be like Jesus. And easy street doesn't get you to be like Jesus. I'm sorry. There's no shortcut. And it's painful. And Sometimes God says, yes, I will heal. Sometimes God says, yes, I will give you that child and give you many more. And sometimes God says, no. But whatever God says, God is good. God is good. And He loves you and He is sovereign and He is not powerless in your situation. And He has not forgotten about you. He loves you. He loves you. He'll never stop loving you. And what He's doing in you is to accomplish a greater thing than solving your problems right now. Unless solving your problem brings Him greater glory. So whatever your circumstance, God is there. So because he's there, turn to him. Do what Hannah did. Turn to God. Pour your heart out to him. Trust him. He is trustworthy. And then trust his answer. Even if it's not the answer you want. Because he knows you and he knows the future and you don't. And he knows what will bring him glory. 